for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. So this podcast coming to you late in the week on Good Friday, actually, is a conversation that I have been having with my buddy Josh Lajani for the past two weeks. Uh, last week, we were together in New Orleans and Thibodeau, and he took me on a driving tour of down the bayou, the land where basically he was raised, where he grew up hunting and fishing and being social and communal and cooking and eating and drinking and all that stuff, and the land's disappearing for various reasons related to climate change globally and specifically some of the ecology and geography of down the bayou. Um, the place that he loves and has called home for his whole life is literally underwater. And he gave me a long tour on, on Monday. We drove down there and he showed me all this stuff. And I kind of wanted to, you know, document it for the world. And so we did that in our conversation today. But the week before that, we were together leading a couple of retreats, one for health coaches and one for folks who just want to, you know, improve their lives, be happier and eat better, move better, and and just be more okay with themselves, more in touch with what they actually need. And so we talked about what that was like as well. It's always great for me to catch up with Josh. And since I have gotten two weeks worth and you haven't, I wanted to share him with you. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Josh Lajani, welcome back. What's up, brother? Yeah. First of all, happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you got a, yeah, a beautiful shout out. It was from, a special day. Uh huh. I saw on Instagram you got a beautiful shout out from Black Men Run and Black Men Run Nola. It made me cry. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, unexpected, right? You yeah. know, but I really appreciate it. I mean, I know, I'm, it, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Uh, mm -hmm. Felt good. Yeah. So I'm I'm here just to chat, catch up. We haven't uh, recorded something in a while, or actually, we did record something that we didn't publish uh, a couple yeah, months ago. Yeah. But you and I Very just been... anger, anger, worry filled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes these these are just therapy sessions, and we're both like, okay, no one else needs to hear this. Exactly. <laughs> Probably would have been the highest rated episode ever, but. Uh... Oh yeah, because people want to see gore and they love they love tragedy and train wrecks and people crying, snot bubbles. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have the snot bubble podcast. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, lots lots been going on. You and I have spent the better part of two weeks together. And yeah, so I miss you, bro. I feel it feels weird without Howie every single day. I know. It's funny how quickly we got into that routine after two years of not seeing each other at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's beautiful. Yeah. So um, there's a bunch of things I'd love to talk to you about. One, one is we on Monday, today's Friday, on Monday, you took me on a, a five or six hour driving tour of down the bayou. And I right. took a bunch of I took a bunch of like bad photos with my ridiculously old iPhone. <laughs> some some of which I could share. Most of the I, I like was going through them with Mia and showing her on the computer and she's like, well, and what's that? And what so mostly yeah. it's a it's Josh's cracked windshield. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but over there in that corner, I think you can see rubble. 
Um, <laughs> right, right. But I, you know, it was so powerful. The the tour. I just uh, first of all, I'd love for you to just kind of talk about down the bayou and what's going on, and what that means, and if there's anything you know, anything to be learned from it, or anything actionable that listeners can can be thinking about or even doing. So um, there's an yeah, there's an analogy actually that that pops to mind for me when I was up at your house when we were you know a couple weeks ago, and and I was petting that steer right in that field. Uh, he had come to the fence and he was really nice to me and it it felt right, you know, to to really love him and pet him and, and then try and give him as much positive energy as I could because he probably doesn't get a lot of that from people from animals that look like me. And and I kept thinking like what could I tell this steer? I know what his life is. I know what's about to happen. And uh and it's just like enjoy right i think the first action step is to recognize and realize that um losing a big part of our south of i-10 state a big part of what the flavor of louisiana really is losing a big part of that landmass is inevitable mm. it's not something that we're gonna arrest and reverse right so maybe maybe go into like before we get into that like what what are we yeah, talking about sure. for people who people just who don't the know coastal like erosion know. yeah yeah coastal erosion in Louisiana where I'm from like so Louisiana is this big boot shaped state well on the soles of the boot is where I'm from I'm from the sole of the boot down on the bottom the bottom of the boot that's where I'm from I'm from where the Gulf touches our state. And we don't have like long, linear, sandy beaches and a clearly defined coastline like you see in most coastal areas where whether it's rocky or beachy or whatever. What we have is thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of sort of semi land, semi water. And it kind of permeates back and forth these estuaries, these these in between zones that we call marshlands. It's not really land. You're not going to make a road or build a hotel on it, but but it's there. And um, and, you know, we had these uh, these islands out there that were called Shinyes. They were protection islands, you know, and over the years, whether it's Last Island or, you know, Timbalier Island or Grand Isle now is shrinking. Um, we've lost all of those over the years. And it's like a buffer zone for that really gooey, soft marsh closer inland. And all of those things have, have helped us upland, up the bayou, weather storms for years, for, for, for generations. Um, storm surge is really is arrested by a lot of that, that sort of in-between marshy land down there. And so it's beneficial to us in that regard. It's beneficial to our our uh, tourism and the hunting and fishing that goes on in those areas the um and and the fact is 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 that part of louisiana is is disappearing like it's literally leaving and not not coming back um and it's where i'm from like i'm from up the bayou but we spent all of our recreational hours going down the bayou to those estuaries, to those marshes, 
And so many of my beautiful sunsets and sunrises are in those places with people I love. And they're disappearing. And open water is beautiful too, but when you see open water and you know that that used to be called, you know, Bird Island, or that used to be called uh, Last Island, um, this, this Raccoon Island used to just be the westernmost point of what was this big, long island called Il Denier, Last Island. And so I know that. And, and it, what's weird is it's hard to con- it's hard to convey. It's so powerful to me. It means so much, and it's my homeland. But to really like get people to appreciate it, uh, it takes satellites, time lapse photography to really kind of give someone an appreciation that otherwise would take a lifetime of forty years of living and watching and seeing areas turn from land ish to just open water, and and then there's all sorts of ramifications ramifications from that and then there's all sorts of things that expedite that process and make it happen faster and um and it's just a real frustrating conundrum as a person from here which is a lot of why i resonate with a lot of tab benoit's music you know there's blues right and his blues is often about us losing our homeland it's going away yeah you know, and so I've I've understood it from, let's say, an, an economic perspective and a geological perspective. What I didn't understand until you took me on that tour is that, you know, it's it's a difference between, well, a bunch of people died and your mom died. Right. Like those are right. those are two <laughs> very different relationships to a thing that's going on and you, you know, you'd stop and you'd point out like that, that water there, that's where we used to have a camp. Right. Right. Like for, for you to say, this is, this is the land that birthed me and it's gone. Like that was, that was, first of all, it was hard for me because I'm looking at it as a tourist and it didn't look that special to me. Right. (laughs) Right. It's gross. It smells like like marsh smells bad. The bugs are terrible. It's very inhospitable. It's a very rough terrain to exist in, but our people have for generations and we love it now, you know? Yeah. I mean, to be able to sit there and to sort of realize, like, I I am with you in your pain, but I'm not understanding like it's, you know, it's the same as if you know, someone you loved died whom I didn't know. Like, all I can right. do is empathize with you, but I can't feel the same things you're feeling. And that was, it was a very, right. it was sad for me to be, you know, to want to support you, to be next to you on this drive and to see things that I knew I could not see through your eyes. And I'm, I'm wondering maybe if you could just like tell some stories like, you know, I can cry at a funeral, mm-hmm. a person I don't know when I hear the stories of them. Like, what's what is the land? What does this land mean to you? So there's a whole bunch of islands. Like I posted an Instagram post a couple of days ago about uh, um, it, it was like time lapse satellite footage of of 
a series of little barrier islands sort of just melting into like it looked like sugar melting into coffee or something mm. and um those islands specifically are <clears throat> are places that my band band took me and my little brother those are places where you know, maybe we weren't technically supposed to get supposed to, but we would get off and go walk through all of the birds on Bird Island, and we learned how they would like fake an injury and and to just get you away from their nest. All these really nuanced and cool things about nature. Um, we would go walk the shores of those little places on the backside and in, in the bays and stuff where they still had sandy bottoms with. Uh, we would rig up a lantern so we could see, and we'd be maybe walking in, you know, calf deep water, looking for flounder, and we would gig flounder. And to think that those places now, literal, those literal spots now, just don't exist anymore, and they're never gonna. It's not gonna happen. The will isn't there to go. Oh, we need to rebuild this. We need to reroute the billions of dollars made in the industries that have helped make this happen to rebuilding this. That's never going to happen. It's not happening. You know, so it's about coming to that realization, realizing what's left that's still really beautiful and, and trying to, um, trying to hold on to the memories, trying to get people to go see it before it's gone. Go see it before it's gone. Because Grand Isle is awesome. Ile de Jean Charles is awesome. You should go and see it before it disappears. Go ride to Pontichet and see what a fishing community looks like before it goes away. And it's just a boat launch with open water. And, um, it's just kind of sad, you know, all of those, you know, you think about what it must have used to look like when you see all of the dead deciduous trees in the marsh. You know, you're like, wow. You think about what kind of land is necessary for that kind of tree to take root and grow and to see, see them just dead because of saltwater intrusion. It just, it portends a really sad ending for the place I grew up playing yeah, it looked like, you know, if anyone's read the Dr. Seuss children's book, The Lorax, at the end, where there's just sort of sticks and dead stumps. Right. Like, like these, you know, these were like mighty um, live oaks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sticks, right? Like, like sticks that somebody stuck in the ground from far away. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you look at it, you're like, it doesn't, it doesn't compute that that used to be forested or, you know, at least heavily covered. Had cows on it. It was field. It was pasture, you know? And now you couldn't walk on it without sinking up to your asshole. It's, it's just mud marsh, marsh mud and grass. Yeah. yeah. And when you talk about, you know, your, the, the childhood connection to it, like, I did not grow up in nature, right? I grew up in the suburbs. So we mm -hmm. you know, we'd go we could go walk at, at South Mountain Park, you know, or like I could, you know, go in the backyard and look at earthworms, but but 
it was always mediated through culture, mm. through things that were human made. I think there's there's something special that you and Dustin got from mm -hmm. that, that that wasn't like you go to Disneyland, you get an experience and it's a very predictable experience. And, you know, it's sort of mm -hmm. culture consumer and conformist. What you got from like a, being part of an ecosystem or being intimately connected to an ecosystem that had birds that would fake injuries and like it, it feels like what it did was it it helped you see that you were part of something bigger than a human society you know you talked about with the with that yeah. steer that you were being nice to that you know you, you referred to yourself as an animal you know as an animal right that he hadn't seen an animal who looks like you be nice to him and i think there's there's something incalculable that's lost when we don't, as children, have the opportunity to simply be uh, a humble part of nature rather than its master or destroyer. Right. And, and I've seen real time what being its master and destroyer looks like. I've, you know, I've killed animals with my bare hands and, and and heard them scream their last breath in because of me doing it. I've done it several times. I know I have that visceral connection to what death looks like. You know, I have that visceral connection to this, to, to the stars and being able to be so far away from city light that you can see just trillions of stars. You can see the Milky way. We would lay on Timberlair Island and just so far away from any light when we would kill the generator. It was like this. It was like a glitter box. It was unbelievable what the sky looked like. And it's beautiful and full circle to me that that those things are drawing me now, like into the simple parts of nature, into the body that I've been you know, next to my whole life, looking at flowers more deeply, looking just just trying to appreciate what's left, trying to appreciate right now, you know, and not get too caught up in what's coming, how it got there, what can I do to help arrest it and change it and turn it and twist it and what's my, you know, what's my fiduciary responsibility as a person who has helped it get this way for so many years, like all of those worries and those those like crises inside your brain. If nature always offered uh, offers the opportunity for you to get back in your body, which is another thing we spent so much time talking about that week at your house, nature gives you no choice. You know, you have to get back in your body. You have to cross the Creek. You have to jump the little rock. You have to step up and over the, the tree that's fallen and smell the, you know, and hear the rattlesnake or smell the poo to avoid it or whatever. You have to get in your body. And to have had that foundation laid accidentally by my grandfather, who just wanted to get the hell out of Dodge and let his hair down and have a few whiskey drinks and not have anybody bother him, to be leaning on what I learned back then now is is beautiful uh, but there is a sadness to it because i have seen you know i have seen the uh 
the melting of that that area, for lack of a better word. Right, and you know, as you say, area. there's 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 no conceivable way to reverse that, right? So you're you're saying yeah. your goodbyes, right? Yeah, yeah, because there's there's individual efforts, and they've they've you know they've proven that you can you can dredge and you can make some spots, but it's a lot of it's a lot of spot fixing. There's just not a lot of will to do something like that in mass. There's it's really a lot of effort on display type uh, projects, you know. Right. Yeah. And but you know, and so where where I'm going with this is that you are in the vanguard, and most like for me, I haven't experienced this. Like for me, climate change is fire ants in my garden where there didn't used to be. Um, mm -hmm. Unpredictable blueberry harvesting, where you you look back from last last year and it's like you have no idea when they're going to come into bud. Uh, it's longer allergy seasons that are that are more severe, but it's it's incremental. And if I didn't have Facebook mm -hmm. to remind me of the last blueberry harvest, I might not even notice. But it's happening, and you're you're in the vanguard of of like. You're experiencing this before the rest of us, so we might not be able to save Grand Isle and Ile de Jean Charles, but there's a lot of other places on the world that are going to follow, and, and, may, and they may not disappear underwater, but they're going to be changed to the point where they're unrecognizable and they're not going to be able to sustain the life they're sustaining now. Which is, I kind of I think like what you what we need to hear from you. Like there are. There are things we can do right now mm -hmm. if we want to save the rest of the ecosystems on the planet that, that nourish us physically and spiritually. Or even if you just very simply, like myself, don't want to participate in being part of the problem that's been identified by decades of science. And, and so I'm just going to eject myself from being as much a part, I'm still driving a truck, I'm still burning petroleum, I'm still doing things that aren't helpful. But everywhere that I can, um, I want to make changes hmm. to be better, to not to not be part of the problem as much. Now that I'm aware that I was. So what what are the causes specifically of the loss of all that marshland? I'm not an expert, but I, I do like just generally speaking, I think the threat is um, just from a, uh, you know, basically uh, media consumption, knowledge of climate change. Um, the threat to us specifically is, of course, rising sea levels. Because we're we're already like we're like right here when it comes to sea level right now. You know, we the tide affects the whether or not the the water is going to be over the dock or not, depending on where you are. So that's a big deal. We we're not playing with a lot of freeboard, as you would say, on a boat. Um, kind of tight, right? So one, that's one thing. The other thing that doesn't help is. All of that squishy, soft part of the marsh, probably decades before they realized it was such a bad idea, has been chopped up, crossed up, chopped up with with um, 
petroleum pipe, whether pipeline canals or access canals or whatever. Um, and that has just physically, if you just look at a satellite view of the marsh around there, uh, it really helps the water get in and bifurcate the big patches of marshland. And it, it just, it, you can see it demonstrably help uh, the marsh dissipate. Um, the other thing is, as you know, just like Hurricane Ida, you know, just this past summer was the most destructive and worst hurricane to ever hit Louisiana coast in history, right? That threatening to be a more normal occurrence is scary as shit because that was not fun. Mm. That was a lot. And you know, a more tangential thing that's happening to us up the bayou, right? And in our specific topography between um, Lafouche and Mississippi, the Lafouche, Bayou Lafouche and, and the Mississippi River, we have this big giant patch of swamp that all has to be drained out through by the Zalmans, right? And so the more that we have sea level rise, the more that hurricanes can uh, which it, by the Zalmans essentially empties into a lake that is connected out to the Gulf, right? That's so a the lake, border, lake we have sea level rise. It's no, it's Lake Salvador lake out Salvador. into the Gulf, right? Okay. Lake the Zalmans the other way, right? And so, um, not only do is sea level rise an issue, but with storms being more and more powerful, it's an issue blowing a south wind up into that mouth of that 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 bayou, then nobody up and down that lives in the swamplands between the Mississippi River and Bayou Lafouche, nobody that lives in there is going to be able to effectively drain their backwater swamps that everybody's pumping into. So we wind up with water stacked up on top of us and whoever's got the newest pump stations and the newest levees wind up the least harmed, but it's not really their fault but it winds up a lot of people fighting neighbors fighting and it's causing a lot of turmoil up the bayou where i live um and and it's just it it doesn't look good going forward um you know because we're having more and more of these high water events and the most powerful hurricane ever hit just hit us um and uh, we've had some near misses. I mean, just the fact that Katrina just jogged over a little. Katrina could have really wiped us out, too. But we got the north wind off of Katrina, which blows water out. You see, when you get the south and it pushes the water up into the coast, that storm surge on that side is just really bad. And when you don't have the chenilles and you don't have the marshes to absorb that water swell, that water swell gets deeper and deeper up into the swamp. And that's where we're trying to pump to. And we can't. And our roads go under and our houses go under and property like Bayou Buff and, and during Ida never flooded. In 60 years, people have been living back there and nobody, it never flooded. This For Ida, it did. The swamps overtook the levees because that's, you know, and um, it's just a compounding, multifaceted problem that uh i don't really see uh like us getting traction on a solution and we got to find different reasons to even do anything about it and that's why i see it as as me trying to pull myself out of 
the participation realm of that system as much as possible, whether it's, you know, eating meat, traveling less, all of, all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, down there, what's in your face is the petroleum industry. Right. Yes. Because I mean, we were look we were looking at some of the poorest places on the planet, or at least in the Western Hemisphere. That yeah. if it you know, but the money that comes in from petroleum actually raises a lot of people not only out of poverty but into very comfortable upper middle class lives. Right. Yeah. People making a hundred, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, not even working with a GED. With what? Right. With a GED. With a GED. Right. If right. you can well. Right. Right. So it's almost it's blasphemous where you are to um, to talk about the the oil industry in anything other than glowing, thankful terms. Correct. Correct. And that's a really big part of why I don't see a solution. Because these people need these jobs. Um, I don't know how we get around that. And that's just the facts. And I love these people. They're family, they're friends, they're people I've known my whole life. And if all of a sudden we said, hey, no more oil tomorrow, every, I mean, it would be mayhem. Suicides, murders, people would, it would just, it would be mayhem. Like it would be mayhem. And yeah. I don't know what to do about it. So I gotta try to find ways to be happy. And, and be in, you know, find some sort of pocket of, of uh, positivity to exist in, yeah. you know? It, it, yeah, it reminds me, I mean, it's almost like once, um, once a thing is done, we can look at it, you know, you and I can look at it, uh, mm -hmm. and the, my audience can look at it and say, well, that's a bad thing, let's undo it. And undoing it would be unbelievably irresponsible. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a big um, business consultant, and he's helping one of the biggest companies in the world get out of Russia. And, mm -hmm. you know, as you know, if you're looking at the news, there's there's been a lot a lot of companies, Western companies have just left Russia. Some are still there and they're getting hammered right in the popular press. Like, you know, you, you see signs you know, Nestle get out like boycotting Nestle because they're not out of Russia yet. And my friend was describing like what is going into getting this big company out of Russia. He said, like, first of all, how do you get the expats out? The Russian, there's no planes. So you've got to get all mm -hmm. the expats, all the Europeans and and Westerners out safely. You can't just say, okay, we're done because we're more we're on the moral high ground. Then you've got people who worked for you who are Russians who've been there, you know, part of your team, part of your family for years or decades. And do you just abandon them or do you try to take care of them in some way? If the government in Russia feels like they have they are Western um, supporters, they might be disappeared. They might be sent to jail. Right. So and what do you do about your, you know, billions of dollars in hard assets, brick and mortar assets on the ground that are just someone else is going to take them and, you know, steal from you for the benefit of, of Russia. Like he was making me understand this is far more complicated than just um, taking a public popular public stance and right to say, OK, no more oil like, you know, oh, God, I hate the oil industry. We should just shut it all down. 
is is not a responsible way forward either. No, no, and and the lack of, and, and and the lack of a desire to explore the nuances in that really creates division. You know, it's it's really an either or thing. Um, nobody wants to talk about you know. Nobody wants to talk about the 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 toxic capitalist reasons that oil is exploiting us, right? Or that it's sucking it, that big petroleum is sucking the juice out of Louisiana and disproportionately taking more than it leaves. Um, want to talk about want to talk to about them? Um, help connect some dots for folks. Well. It's, well, what I mean is just um, I don't I don't want to come off like a know-it-all because I don't know it all, but I do know that just this general ethos associated with everything that I've ever learned about business is, you know, you got to break a few eggs, all of these old adages to, to make an omelet, the omelet being um, increased shareholder wealth. And there's really no nuance to that in, in the, any of, I just had an undergrad, but there's no nuance to that in the, biz, in the business education I got. It's very clear. And so with that, there's a lot that's okay. If it's not technically illegal, then it's okay. And um, that's kind of what I mean by the way, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk about deep water horizon, you want to talk about how BP got there. I just saw a documentary on how they grew so fast buying up Amoco and these other companies and you get really top heavy and you present as if you're ready to uh, to to benefit from economies of scale. But you're not even you logistically can't handle the scale you're trying to operate at. And these major, terrible things happen. Human life is lost. I have friends who've been on barges that blew up. Because trying to save money so we can get to the bottom line so we can increase shareholder wealth. And human lives are used as pawns. But it's cool because you get a $100,000, you know, payout from the oil company or somebody gets, you know, some money. And like that's kind that's what I mean. It's a cost benefit analysis as to whether or not we kill Louisianans extracting oil. Mm-hmm. And right now it's cool. It's all right whether we kill them offshore or slowly through chronic disease or depression or being broke all the time or whatever. Yeah, and I think if we if we go back, if we could rewind the clock and go back before there is a significant petroleum presence in Louisiana. And, and, and do mm-hmm. a referendum and say, here's the deal. You guys will get $100,000, $150,000 a year with your GED. You'll be able to buy a boat. You'll be able to work six weeks off, six weeks on. 
Um, you'll be able to have a nice house. And here's the cost. Right. Certain percentage of you are going to die on oil rigs. A certain percentage of you are going to get these diseases. Your land is going to go away. Um, you know, there are people in Texas and Saudi Arabia who are going to become billionaires. Fucking obscene. Right. Right. Obscene wealth. And they're going to and you're going to get I love this, this expression that you came up with, like peanut dust. Right. Because we talked about right. the CEO getting peanuts <laughs> compared to the, mm -hmm. the the actual shareholders, the owners of the company and the employees getting right. peanut dust. Right. Right. Exactly. Which, you know. At this point, you can't you know, it's hard to give up, but it's hard to imagine that somebody rational would have made that choice had they been able to see the unforeseen future. Absolutely. It's it's a generational sort of boiled frog thing, you know, and and so many of this is these people. I mean, it's I'm following my dad right into the, the same field, the same company. A lot of it is like that. Um, so it's it's bigger than even a job. It's a family lineage. It's oh, I got, you know, my dad's got a certain last name and I took it, you know, and I'm and I'm taking the ball and running with it. I totally understand that dynamic. That's what further makes me feel like there's not going to be a lot done about it. It's so entrenched. It's almost, I would say, metastasized in our culture. You know, All right. now you didn't you know you when you were in business school or in, in school for business, getting your degree, you bought into right. all that stuff, right? It was gospel. Absolutely. So yeah, you you right. didn't shift your views by starting out to read, you know, Capital by Thomas Piketty or The Nation, right? right Young Socialists of America or anything. You shifted. No. You shifted based on movement and food, right? That yeah. was that was the first. Can we? So you know, one one part of climate change is petroleum industry, transportation, energy, all that. But we know, and my mm -hmm. listeners know, there's a huge part that has to do with agriculture. Um, so how 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 well, can you draw the line from you changing the way you treated your body to becoming an advocate for the planet? Um, honestly, the first thing coming to my head is something that I learned from Rich Roll because he talked about it in, 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 in more than one conversation I'd heard him have on his podcast about having a more 30,000 foot view of why I'm eating plant based. It started off for me because I wanted to lose more weight and I understood I was like, oh, this calorie density thing makes sense and I'll avoid some oil and the sugars and the. You know, that all made sense. So I started doing that. And but to hear Rich talk about then then as a hunter, I know how many animal screams I've heard that I know how many I know how a rabbit sounds when it's dying. I know how a pig sounds when it's dying. I've killed a deer up close looking at it while it died. And so it felt right to me to not want to participate in that anymore. I've done it. I understand that this is a healthy way to eat. I'm not doing anything risky by avoiding meat and being soft and not wanting animals to be harmed on my behalf by strangers. And so that was the second component, right? 
was like, okay, that helps a lot. But then things, you know, like cowspiracy come out, right? And I've always heard like, oh, you know, you can't be a real environmentalist if you're not if you're not a, if you're not a vegan. And I just thought that was like a elitist like club like sort of thing to say, you know, like a like a you know, just you know how vegans are. Yeah. And, and so, and so, but. When I understood better the difference, say, between um, methane and carbon monoxide, right? All carbon dioxide. This, right, that's what, what carbon dioxide, yeah. right? And so, and carbon monoxide is what's being released from, from, uh, from cars and stuff, right? But anyway, yeah. the carbon, right? Yeah. So... When I realized all that 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 carbon dioxide gets all the publicity and everybody's talking about reducing CO2 and this and that, but then understanding how much more uh, potent methane is, and I was like, ah, oh, it made so much. It just made a lot of sense to me. And then you start extrapolating weight, and people go, oh, well, it's just cow farts and cow burps. No, you ever been around a cow? They always, they always smell like gas, like they're gas, like they're farting and belching all the time. And the, the pasture smells like cow shit everywhere. That's the gas coming off of their poop. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a wastewater guy. I understand how these things happen. That's what I've done. And so that really resonated with me. Of like, damn, we eat so many cows that we're just disproportionately pumping this methane out into the environment that would otherwise not be a thing, right? And then you add into that the transportation. I know plenty of truck drivers. I know plenty of barge, uh, like boat captains. I know all of these guys to move goods and stuff around, to move animals around. Not only do you got trucks, they got refrigeration trucks. They got all of these different things it just it just felt like wow we've been worried about driving and taking showers instead of baths all of this time like like they talk about in conspiracy when really the real thing that every person can do if they care and would make a, a huge difference is stop participating in that animal agriculture thing even if you do go out in the woods and still procure meat on your own accord stop participating in the animal agriculture thing please and it's not just for the feelings of the animals and the like mass murder of sentient beings of course that's bad but it's also completely out of sync with with our intake norms as a species as an animal it's not what we're supposed to do and Look at all of the the petroleum calories that go into a calorie of beef. It's absurd. It is out of sight. We could be growing food for us to eat. Hey, we like we like corn. We like potatoes. We like peas. We like beans. We like shrooms. Like we like we could use pastures for fields to grow these plant foods. And so that is how I see. Um, me not participating in that that thing that's 
helping make my situation at the bottom of the boot worse. And just like that, that parable where, you know, it's like, oh, whatever, Josh. I mean, yeah, okay, one person. And I get it. It doesn't matter a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But the way I think about it is like that parable. I think it might have been you that told me about it, where there's millions of starfish on the beach and the kid is going and just throwing one starfish at a time. And someone points out his, you know, the futility in that. It's like, look at all of these freaking starfish. You're never going to make a dent. And, and that kid said, and, or, what you're doing is never going to matter. And he said, it matters to this one. And it matters to this one. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I see it is I think that I'm just one life. Um, but I think it matters to do it a certain way, you know? Yeah, well, there's a, you know, I think it's a Margaret Mead quote, the anthropologist, something about, mm -hmm. you know, never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. Mm -hmm. right. and, I, and that's what the thing is, is that that wording that you use, small group of con, con, uh, a small group of considered uh, committed citizens, concerned citizen, yeah. committed citizens is basically like what running and eating healthy has helped me accumulate over the years of trying to be a better person, you know? And so, yeah, maybe I'm not going to make a difference, but maybe I can be part of threading a community along with you and my BMR buddies and a lot of the, some of the missing chins guys and some of the ultra runner runner people that have woven themselves into my life. Like maybe that's what this is, is a, an accumulation of committed citizens. And um, we'll just reach a tipping point one day and things will get better. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I'm thinking about is like the power you have by being an insider in your communities. And like, you know, like one thing that that's very easy for vegans to do is scold. Right. Because mm -hmm. we have such moral high ground. Like, and I'm not even saying that facetiously, like it's absolutely true. Like we have moral high ground. We are <laughs> compassionate. We can see things that other people can't see. And it's so easy to come Thanks in as a scold. I was just I was just reading about um, Dr. Semmelweis, who mm -hmm. um, I guess 19th century discovered that, that when doctors do autopsies and then don't wash their hands before delivering babies, that that's not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and he discovered just wash your hands with some, you know, fucking carbolic acid or chlorine or something. And you could save like millions of babies and their and their mothers and how he and, you know, he's he's treated in the history books as sort of a uh, a hero who never got, you know, who was mistreated terribly during his lifetime. Right. Like he actually ended up in an insane asylum because he was screaming and no one would listen to him. And then you, when you, you like dig into like, how did he actually convince people? Like he once wrote a 64 page article calling another physician an idiot. Right. And can you imagine like, you know, the doctors and researchers in the plant based community like doing exactly that, like writing these long yeah. essays and books on like why everybody else is stupid. Right. And as opposed to like the way you're doing it, which is you don't scold anybody in your community for being, you know, for for hunting, for fishing, 
for being part of the petroleum industry, for seeking their dopamine any which way they can get it in a hard life. And yeah. you're not and you haven't divorced yourself from it. Like like you can speak to this in a way and you have spoken to this in a way that, yeah, there's a lot of people who will, you know, their immune, the, the immune system will reject you as a virus. But there's also a lot of people who can still see you as one of us. Yeah, there, there, there's overlap. There is, there's some people who, you know, I'm on toxic waste too, but then there's some people that go, you know, I see you, Josh, you know, and I get it. People tell me that people do. So um, it's not on deaf ears and regardless of whether it is or it isn't, it makes me feel good about how I'm participating in this world and and whether or not I am actively doing something that's making my Louisiana worse or am I making my Louisiana better, regardless of how difficult that is on my individual life. Which one of those things is true about my actions? Yeah. Um, one thing that has resonated with me as I looked at history, especially during, you know, how racism really came to the forefront in, in, in my own psyche in the past couple years. Um, you know, uh, What, what, what's, I've lost my train of thought, Alan. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, one, where how racism has, has uh, come into your psyche in the last couple of years? Yeah, I know, but I forget why. I forgot why, I, where I was going, why I said that. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought that might be a useful prompt. <laughs> yeah, no, that was um. Oh shit, it's bothering me. But what was that? What were we talking about before that? I'm sorry about being part of about being part of the community as opposed to just scolding. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's I, all right. I lost my whole train of thought. That's all right. I don't even remember what the hell I was talking about. There's, there's another train. Like, it's going to come back to me and it's going to kill me. Uh, well, right. just call me. We'll do some more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's let me I'll 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 segue on that because, um, you mm -hmm. know, um, like let's talk about racism. Right. I mean, one, one of the things yeah. that really impresses me about your approach to life is and it's something I don't quite understand, honestly, when I try to apply it in my own life is your unconditional love for your Bam Bam for for. Mm -hmm. your heritage for the things, you know, that that nurtured you when you were younger, whether it's football or certain types of community or hunting or whiskey drinking or camp culture, misogyny, yeah. racism, like you love that life, the, the, the life that it gave you. And at the same time, you are embodying change and you're embodying taking responsibility um, and without rejecting the the people whom you know you now you now see as having an extremely sort of toxic impact on both your life and the community. I think I recognize the patterns in in our in our culture that help 
um, sort of incubate and entrench behaviors like and I want to empower I want to recognize those powers the the camaraderie the cooking the, the the all the tools that normal Cajun people use to try to keep people where we are right and you know yeah it's a good place because look how good I am look look how good we boil and crawfish again and it's 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 good Friday it's a good ball it's a you know like it's mm. and um I think that using community and humor and food is a very good way to introduce and incubate old behaviors and it's a good way to uh, or to incubate old behaviors and it's a good way to introduce and incubate new behaviors maybe you want to try it on maybe it grosses you out that you hear the n-word so much at that crawfish boil that you go to maybe you don't want to deal with that anymore maybe you don't maybe you don't see eye to eye with those people anymore that bothers you now whereas used to you could just ignore it but now i don't even want to fucking associate you know and knowing that that's an option knowing that there's people that sound like you that look like you that can cook that want to go that can run a boat and back up a boat trailer and even if they don't fish would take you fishing and hang out for the weekend there's a certain bit of acceptance like okay you know i can still be who i am i can still uphold the work ethic that my grandfather taught me the 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 ability to fix anything on the fly and make keep things rolling forward like I can use all of those tactics and techniques that he used to teach me some bad things, um, and 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 police those behaviors as well to sort of keep them happening. Um, I could use that same model, that same scaffolding, to encourage people to do better things, and I want to. You know, I, it, I've heard so many times, Josh, why are you still there, dude? Like I met with Doms while I was coming home from Atlanta and um, and we had dinner in Atlanta and we got to talking about the hurricane and I was telling him about the flood in May before the hurricane that we had and it was stressful and all of that. And we got to, you know, got on the whole summer, some of the political topics of, of late and. And he's just, um, he's looked at me and he's like, dude, why are you still there? Yeah. And yeah, because it's home. Like, because it's, it's, I don't know. And, and, you know, he's from Chicago, but the thing about it is, I don't know if many other places, many other humans' homes is like, like disappearing actively right now as you speak. There's a certain draw for me to be here because it's like, you know, she's on her last leg. Mm. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, we just got off of these two retreats, one for health coaches and then the other a sick to fit retreat. And, you know, it's, it's hilarious us going shopping together. And I've got my little notebook with all these scribbles in it, trying to, you know, optimize everything. And you're just walking around 
chucking things into the cart by like there there was like all like there was such a clear sense for me that you were born for this like every, like the things that you did that got you into trouble were also the things that can help so many people get out of trouble like just it was so beautiful just watching it's like you know, almost like Karate Kid, like for 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 years, you've been without understanding why, you know, you're wax on, wax off, paint the fence like this, like and all of a sudden you realize that you have been training your whole life to lead experiences where people can become healthy and whole. It felt like a camp trip, like I've done so many of those. I have I've prepared, I've gotten a provision for and cooked for and entertained for many, many uh, camp trips. And that's all that that little retreat felt like. It felt like going to the camp. And I've done that many times, you know, and to be fair, you would be proud. You would my Bam Bam would walk around in the store like you. <laughs> Bam Bam did it that way. Uh -huh. Right. And he had his book in his pocket and he'd break it out and he would cross off panko breadcrumbs and he put that back and then we go and now we're looking for we're looking for some rice <laughs> you know and then he put we need that right and he is you you were the same but i you know i need that too i need that keel and to let me run around and play with the sails <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was beautiful. Um it, I loved it. It's just it's fun and it's fun specifically with you. Like it's fun specifically with you because especially in the kitchen I feel competent, you know, when I'm like I'm teaching you things, uh -huh. right? It's like, no, don't do that. No, you don't. Yeah, and it's like, ah, okay. And so there's like this symbiosis there that feels less like me riding your coattails and more like me being able to actually contribute and feel like an equal and feel like a part of this thing and, and feel like worthy of the accolades and the, the beautiful things people say about me when, they, when we do these things that I'm never prepared for. And... Um, I don't know. I think there's something to it. You know, I, I do love doing that. I love those weeks like that. I love those weekends. It feels really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a theme bubbling up that even encompasses what we started talking about, which is the losing of all the land, um, which is like there are I think there's ways that most of us look for look for deficits and focus on what's wrong or what's missing, even in our own lives, where even where you say, well, I'm still yeah. driving a truck, I'm still burning petroleum, I'm still part of this community. And the more I think about it, the more I think like those, those deficits are all potential um, strengths, right? The fact that you're still in this community means you can speak to people who wouldn't listen to me. The fact that you have this set of experiences of like totally abusing your body through food and drink means that you can you have all those skills that you can bring to 
the other and that there's so many things that we think about, uh -huh. like you and I both, whenever we hear a compliment, we're like, hold on, let me write you an essay about why you're wrong. <laughs> or <laughs> let, let me explain to you, let me put that in context so you can you can see that I'm not really worthy of it. Right? Exactly. Right. And to like, we're not going to save whatever land we want to save. We're not going to save it out of fear and guilt. We're going to save it out of love. Right. Nobody there's nobody in the world who's who can argue economically that oil fields are bad. <laughs> You know, even if you say, well, what's the, what's the hold? What's the carbon holding capacity of that marsh? Or what's the water purification um, capacity of the Everglades? And how much is that? Like we're we're arguing numbers. We're not going to save the world through numbers. We're going to save the world through love. Right. And this is like losing the down the bayou is only sad to you because of love. And I think I think it's so important that we get back in touch with what we love and who we love and why we love and let that guide us as opposed to coming from a deficit and a fear and a what's wrong perspective. And it's something I have to remind myself every day because it's so easy for me to look around and see what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets real heavy. Uh and, and I don't have a lot of solutions, you know, I don't. And I don't want to be the guy that is just pointing at all of the problems without really having any solutions for anything. Um, I would much rather talk about what we can do. And things that we can do is try to keep our bodies and our minds and our souls intact. Um, even though our, our land is is melting away um, and I think the way to do that is to appreciate it appreciate it now love it who knows what could happen who knows what miracle could be out there but uh in the meantime let's just let's just give a warning warm embrace and not just to Grand Isle which is great but it's you know Grand Isle is our little, uh, for, for our bottom of the boot area, it's our little uh, vacation spot. Um, maybe we can spread the love too, you know? I mean, there's great places and, and I'm sure the people in Pontichan don't want everybody in Grand Isle going over there, but it would be nice to to make sure that we patronize, to make sure that, that we patronize uh, the smaller, more obscure places on purpose to to help with the economics of surviving in this area. Yeah, yeah. So if I, if anyone you know gonna gonna make a purchase of pistachios or tasers, <laughs> yes, tasers. I, I know a place that can get you a deal. Or welding caps. Welding caps. Yeah. yeah, you need some. <laughs> yeah. Should we should we should we announce a? Uh, a retreat to, to to Grand Isle. Do you want to put that together for to, for the uh, fall? Hey, that would be amazing. Some marsh, Grand Isle, Cocodrie, Do Large. I know people with camps. We could figure something out, bro. Uh, if anyone, that would be yeah. That could. So what? What, that could what would be a good month for that? Like probably after hurricane season. Let's not let's not roll the dice too much. Uh, 
Yeah, it's tricky, but in the fall, it's still got some. We still got some warm days in the fall, so probably in October-ish, early October-ish. Okay, would be a good thing. All right, let's see if any, anyone's listening and wants to do like a four-day Thursday to Sunday camping and and yeah, that would and we could actually we could do the kayaks because we'd be close enough. I could haul a bunch, and that would be nice to do like marsh exploration and kayaks and. Mm. Teach people about brulos, <laughs> and we'll do uh, m mushroom fries instead of fish fries. Air mushroom air good, fries, bro. so no no oil, no fish. Mushroom air fries, yeah, champignon in the air fryer. That's gonna be fire. All right, yeah, let's. Uh... We're gonna put a crack on that. Put that on a cracker, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it, but other people will. Right. <laughs> TikTok. Okay. <laughs> There's a famous dude in, on TikTok from Thibodeau, right? He's a cook, right? And he says everything. Put that on a cracker, dude. Uh, I, have, I, have, I have not given into TikTok yet. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that much free time. <laughs> right. So, any, anything else before we close? No, brother. Not much. I really appreciate, uh, you know, you talking with me, yeah. and, and especially about this topic. I didn't really realize that's what we were going to talk about, but it felt useful, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, well, it means a lot to me, man. Yeah, I wanted to. I mean, it's it's a conversation that we had for many hours in the car, and it's yeah. not going to have the same impact for someone who wasn't in the car with us. Yeah. But maybe it'll help somebody go down down there, and they can see for themselves, yeah. and maybe we can we can guide people to kind of Correct. show them what's up. Agreed. There's viral things happen now, you know, and maybe people do stupid things to go viral. Maybe something beautiful could happen, you know, with virality eventually. Mm. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Let's and let's talk again soon because I, I I also want to talk to you about your new relationship to running. Let's do so, it. Uh, it will, let's next do few, it. In the next few weeks, we'll do another one. Yeah, that'd be perfect. All right, brother. Love it. Peace, Peace. Talk to you later. All right. I hope you liked that. If you want to check out some of the links, uh, you can check out the show notes for today's show, which is plantyourself.com slash 511. Plantyourself.com slash 511. Um, so what's going on around here? I've been away for like pretty much two weeks. Well, I was home for the retreats, but I wasn't really home. I was just focused on the retreats. So mowed the lawn. That mowed the backyard. I'm not sure if that's movement or garden. Um, the blueberries are now in in flower. They were in bud last week. Now they're in flower. And it, tonight's the first night of Passover, so we're going to dig up some horseradish for the uh, Seder plate, which is kind of exciting. Um, we also have some uh, Gold's horseradish, the red stuff, or the, the purple stuff with, uh, with beet in there. Um, but we can get some fresh from the garden as well. And there's a whole bunch of bulbs to be planted. And the greenhouse is getting to the point where it's too hot during the day now. So we got to keep the door and window open and a bunch of flats, um, a lot of flowers and herbs going to get planted for this summer. Movement news, specifically last week I was down in uh, New Orleans for the Fire on the Bayou Ultimate Frisbee Tournament, and we did great. We came in third overall, 
and we played really well, and we had a lot of fun as a team. And I did a lot of running, so uh, I've been—I haven't done anything since since Sunday, since um, the final game. I have just been recuperating and hope to play again this weekend, and then get back into the groove. We've got um, probably going to be invited to nationals in Denver some weekend in July, and so that's the next event. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Reidenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willreidenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franza, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.